We men have no idea what it is to be a woman. Really, we don't. We entertain illusions of what it would be like to have a bubble bath, right? Getting a mani and a pedi, of reading magazines, of kind of being off. But the real world seems to be a world of being on, right? The world is full of cries for help, people crying out, looking for attention. Husband needing his keys, daughter needing a ride, son asking for help with his homework. The demands of others just shout louder and louder to the female soul until her own needs somehow get overlooked. But I love the line in the, in the video. It says, You're stand, I'm standing in the presence of greatness. So I'd like you to find you guys who are men to find a woman and say, I'm really standing in the presence of greatness. Go ahead and do that. <laughs> you really are. It's a true statement. They are awesome. All right. This is the fifth in our series of the Gospel of Mark. We're calling this the Marks of the Kingdom. And the King does have authority to begin new beginnings and forgive. And so we're going to really stand in the presence of for greatness, the presence of Jesus. We're again encouraging to soap together in tables and small groups as families. Soaping has to do with scripture. We're trying to ask the question here, what has God been saying to you recently? Observing the words of God, applying them to our lives and praying them back to God. As we work through uh, Mark, you'll see these online on our blogs. We're soaping these passages. We invite you to soap with us as the scripture gets a little deeper inside. This sermon is the king will grant forgiveness and new beginnings. So let's go to Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, of course, Jesus was from Nazareth, but he was staying temporarily in Capernaum, the people heard he had come. And so many people gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, as he preached the word to them. Let me ask you a question. To whom have you been preaching the gospel this week? Last week you heard about the seed that God's given to us and to, get, to scatter that seed onto various different kinds of soil. And this week your life has had moments with people, with neighbors, people you work beside, people you go to school with. To whom are you sowing that seed? Hmm. You see, it involves telling a story, but before we ever tell the story, we have to listen to a lot of stories, gladly. You see, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care about them. It's showing that care and love of Jesus to people that inclines their heart to hear the gospel. Jesus was an evangelist, and he was in this house. He was proclaiming the good news. And some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. This was not the first time Jesus had been to Capernaum. He had been there before. He invited Peter and Andrew. They were from there. James and John to follow him. Jesus is still asking us to follow him. A great description of who we are is we are Christ followers. When he says love, we love. And when he says forgive, we forgive. And when he says move, we move. And when he says stay, we stay. And when he says speak a word, we speak that word. When he says, be silent, we hold back our words. It was in Capernaum that Jesus had first preached at a synagogue. He took authority there over a spirit. And later he healed Peter's mother-in-law. Now Jesus is back. It's as if he was coming home. My son Jimmy, you heard on guitar, came home last Wednesday night. 
You know how it is when someone's coming home, you're kind of waiting for their arrival. The sound of the engine pulling in the driveway, the lights turning off, coming to the front door, schnick, our dog going crazy. I love Jimmy, and I love Jimmy's home. Jimmy's graduated from college, and he just got commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. But I know something about Jimmy, that after Jimmy arrives home, Jared is shortly to follow. See, Jared is a friend of Jimmy, and they've figured out how to text each other as they travel, and, well, Jared just comes as soon as Jimmy comes home. Well, as soon as, Jim, as, soon as Jesus came home, his friends, there were people that had been healed by Jesus. There have been people who have been forgiven by Jesus. There are some people just checking out Jesus. And there were some Pharisees trying to find fault with Jesus, all crowded into this room. You see, Jesus was there to love. Four men, four friends of the paralyzed man said to the paralyzed man, let's go. Now, if I had been that paralyzed man, I would have said, and where are you taking me? And if I had been one of those four men, I would have said, I'm taking you to Jesus. Now, as sure as I'm standing here, these four men had had an encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus, where they had been forgiven, where they had been healed, or seen people forgiven and healed. They knew that Jesus could and Jesus would heal their friend. But getting their friend to Jesus wasn't easy. First of all, they had to convince their friend to go, just like you need to convince your friends to go. And then they had to carry him through the streets of Capernaum. And then when they arrived at the house, they discovered that the house was crowded. No one was letting them through. So they had a little conference, I believe, just outside the house, and they asked the question, what shall we do? And one of them said, I'll tell you what, let's climb up the stairs. (laughs) And so they climbed up the stairs carrying this person on a pallet. And when they got to the roof, they said to themselves then, what shall we do now? (laughs) And I think one said, let's rest for a moment and catch our breath. And somebody said, let's tear a hole in the roof and lower our friend down to Jesus. Now the normal roofs then were composed of uh, timbers about three feet apart. And there were branches laid crosswise. And on top of the branches was about a foot of dirt, such that in the springtime, grass grew on the roofs. And these men were literally digging through the roof to get to Jesus. Those inside could have easily heard them on the roof. I'm sure they did. Digging away at the dirt, pulling away the branches, prying the roofing loose between the frames, debris falling onto their heads. And then there's this crack of light which widened to a man. And this is most likely Peter's house where this is happening. And I'm sure Peter asked the question, hey, what are you doing? And the answer would have been, we're bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus. You see, the picture is up above four sweaty, dirty, determined men lowering lowering their friend to Jesus. And below, there's Pharisees, scribes, dirt on their robes. And at ground level, Jesus and the paralyzed man. Now notice this, that Jesus doesn't mind the interruption. The most important thing happening in that room at that moment was a man who was paralyzed, being healed, being forgiven. These men really loved their friend. They weren't put off by the Pharisees. They ignored their protests and complaints. They even dug through Peter's roof 
Perhaps this man was a beloved uncle or father, a friend they'd grown up with. Whatever the relationship, they loved this man. Whatever happened this day, the paralyzed man was a very rich man. You know, if you have friends, you're a very rich person. God was going to work in this man's life because of his friend's faith. Who are your real friends? A friend is somebody who has your back. A friend walks into your life when others walk out. Proverbs says that a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. It's easy to love somebody in the good times, when the sun is shining, when the streams of abundance are flowing, when all is going well. But a friend loves you at all times, in the good times and in the bad, in the prosperity and in the adversity, in the sickness and in the health. You see, so many people want something from you, but a friend wants to give something to you. You see, a friend wants to be with you in your worst hour. A friend will always speak well of you, not gossiping behind your back or flattering you to your face. A real friend sharpens you as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. A real friend will tell you the truth, and a real friend discerns what your needs really are. They're listening to your story. They're figuring out what you really need. And they're willing to inconvenience themselves to help you. I don't think this paralyzed man had many friends left. There may have been a time in his life when he had plenty of friends. But now his friends had departed. He doesn't have much going for him. Except he has four friends who will carry him to Jesus. You see, being paralyzed, he couldn't get himself out of bed. He couldn't get up and go to work. He couldn't even take care of himself. But the one thing he has going for him is four friends with faith. The Beatles sang a song a few years back, said something like this, I get by with a little help from my friends. And I'm going to try a little help from my friends. And I get high with a little help from my friends. Well, these four friends aren't going to get their friend high. They're going to bring him to the most high. They're going to do something for the paralyzed man he couldn't do for himself. They're going to carry him into the presence of Jesus. I want to tell you, your friends are going to carry you somewhere. I once upon a time had some friends before I was a believer, and they carried me all different kinds of places. I was talking to the guys on Friday night, Rescue Mission, about where their friends had carried them before and where their new friends are carrying them now. So what does it mean to carry somebody into the presence of Jesus? It means this. When Jesus was there in that house, they carried him into their, his physical presence. But now Jesus said, if I go away, I will send to you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of the believer. And there's promptings of the Holy Spirit. We know a friend's in trouble and danger, has a need. And we can begin to pray for our friend, carrying that friend into the presence of Jesus. There also is Christian community, where two or three are gathered. There he is in the midst of them. Your friend may be apart from others, and we carry our friend into a small group or into our homes where there is presence. I was at a table on Monday night, and one of the men was sharing there about a friend of his who was depressed 
And I said, why don't you carry him to the table next Monday? And he says, what if he asks, where, are I, where am I going? Just say, I'm bringing you into fellowship. You see, we all need one another, and we need Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Is your faith evident to others? Are you carrying your friends into the presence of Jesus? Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of these four men. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is being confident of what we don't see. What they could see was their friend's paralysis. Their friend was stuck. And you have friends that are stuck. And you have friends that are paralyzed. What their friend could not see was Jesus. Jesus existed, but the friend did not know about the existence of Jesus. And faith is being willing to take risks. Faith without works is dead. The question faith asks is, God, what is my assignment? God, what do you want me to do? The man of faith, the woman of faith, is looking for their assignment from God. And these four men understood their assignment to bring their friend into the presence of Jesus. Their friend is stuck. Their friend is paralyzed. But they had got an assignment from God. And their assignment was do whatever it takes to take our friend into the presence of Jesus. You see, faith believes at the core of our being. Faith sees the desired outcome. Faith perseveres even when there's obstacles. And faith sees the greatness of God. These men were men of faith. You see, along with great love, they had a great faith. There is no way they would have gone to the extent they went if they did not believe that Jesus could and Jesus would heal their friend. A wavering faith would have given up. When they saw the crowded house, they would have realized they had to dig. These four guys really believed. This kind of faith invites Jesus' miraculous power. They dared to do the difficult thing. When they got their friend on the stretcher, there was no stopping them. When they hit the obstacle, none of them said, this must not be the will of God because it's going to be hard. They persevered through the obstacles. They did not quit. So there's three things I want to tell you about faith. The first is they dared to do the unorthodox thing. I don't think it was customary or orthodox to dig through somebody's roof. How would you feel if someone were digging through your roof? They risked the disapproval of the homeowner. They risked the judgment of the Pharisees. They risked interrupting the meeting. What if this meeting needed to be interrupted? What if somebody had a need for healing? What if somebody had a need for forgiveness? Will we be willing to interrupt this meeting to extend the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the healing in his name? They dared to do the unorthodox thing. Sometimes the church has got to learn to think outside the box. To be quiet and still before God and hear his direction 
and then to do what God is telling us to do. I've told you before, but the first part of this year, I was fasting and praying for Haiti. And there on the counter, I was really hungry. I saw a bag of dehydrated mangoes. And I began dreaming about that land that is so poor, raising up their mangoes, dehydrating them, and selling them in America. Well, as God directed, what we found was coffee growers in Haiti. And they already produced this coffee. And there's an organization called Just Haiti. And we're dealing with a partnership with Just Haiti, whereby the subsistence farmers can grow their coffee to export quality and sell their coffee at a fair trade price, market it here in America, and bring back the profits to Haiti. And there's going to come a day when the little town of Belladere, which lives in abject poverty, where the little girls are subject to sex, slavery, and trade, there's going to come a day when the farmers sell their coffee, and, and the profits are going to come back to that town, and we're going to build schools. We're going to have teachers and principals. And that community is going to be transformed because somebody had faith to believe. Somebody had faith to believe that God is a great God, that He sits upon a throne, and He sends forth His vision for His people to obey. They dared to do the unorthodox, the unconventional thing. And they dared to do the costly thing. Somebody had to fix that roof. Somebody had to pay for it. I don't know what it cost back then, but I know what a roof costs to fix now. And they dared to do the creative thing. Somebody stood by saying, why didn't I think about that? The answer is you didn't love as much. You didn't have as much faith to believe. You have a friend and your friend is stuck. Your friend is paralyzed. And the question is, will you carry your friend to Jesus? Will you take some action to bring your friend into the presence of Jesus. I imagine a day when there will be no more empty chairs in this place because you carried your friend to Jesus. There's a community they can come into where they'll be loved, where they'll hear the good news, and they become part of the community. What would happen if we really believed? What would happen if God gave to us a measure of faith that in the most barren places, there is beauty beginning to happen. That in the driest desert, streams are beginning to flow. You see, the object of the Christian life is not to make our lives only beautiful, though Jesus makes our lives beautiful. Our mission is to go into barren places and make those places beautiful. What would happen if we really believed that children who are far away from God would come home? that marriages that are broken would get restored, that people that are broken would be made whole only if we prayed. You know, Peter was in prison, and the church earnestly prayed for Peter, and his chains fell off, and the doors swung open, and Peter was awakened. I want to tell you that people get awakened when we pray, and when chains fall off when we pray, and doors swing open when we pray, so God calls His church to pray, to bring people into the presence of Jesus. That's where they need to go. How are we paralyzed then? Because of our sin. Unbelief will paralyze us. Fear will paralyze us. Our past sometimes will paralyze us. 
Now, I don't know this for a fact, but imagine this to be true. Let's suppose this man at one time could walk, and he was a construction person, and he got onto a high place. Maybe he was drinking too much. Maybe he was full of pride and arrogance. But up there he was showing off, and he fell from that high place and broke his neck and now was paralyzed. And now he sits condemning himself, judging himself, feeling sorry for himself. Not only is his body paralyzed, but his soul is paralyzed. If you harbor certain attitudes, if you believe things that aren't true, you can be paralyzed from the inside. And that inside paralysis manifests itself outwardly as well. You see, there is sometimes a connection between our sin and our physical condition. And we often can be paralyzed by our fear. We're paralyzed because we're afraid we'll mess up. We're paralyzed because we believe people will judge us. So we're afraid to try. Some people say that fear is the opposite of faith, but I slightly disagree. Fear is relying upon faith. It's simply faith in the wrong things. Fear is placing your faith in the what-ifs. Faith in God is placing your faith in Him, the who is. Fear is allowing your imagination to wander down a long, dark alley of possibilities. And then in that dark alley of possibilities, getting mugged every time. Now, Moses was a person who lived with a case of what-ifs. God had given him his assignment, but he said, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to what I say? What if, the, <laughs> what if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? You see, Moses was being called to trust God, but he instead was living by fear. We say, what if I can't do it? What if the economy falls apart? What if I get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I, get, what if I can't get married? What if I get married but get married to a jerk? What if we can't have kids? What if we have too many kids? What if I forget Mother's Day? I'm reminding myself all week, it's Mother's Day. So we live in these what-if scenarios. I know a woman whose name is Amy. She began to experience numbness in her body just after um, delivery of her child. She visited doctor after doctor. She underwent a battery of tests. No one could diagnose her problem. No one could tell her how to make it better. Her condition worsened and worsened, and some nights Amy didn't believe she was even going to make it. When with her body racked with pain, one night she said to her husband, if I pass away tonight, this is what I wanted you to do with the kids. Convinced she was dying, with no doctor to tell her what was going on, she lived in constant fear. She was paralyzed by fear. Ever been paralyzed by fear? You've been paralyzed by fear. You ever woke up just kind of dreading something? Like dreading a meeting. <laughs> like dreading a test. You see, fear has the power to paralyze us. And Amy was paralyzed by fear. With nowhere else to turn, this is what Amy did. She turned to the living God. In every room of her house, she had a Bible open. She began studying the Bible as if her life depended upon it. She cried out to God, telling, her, telling him she was afraid, asking God for answers. In the middle of her pursuit of God, a verse grabbed her attention. She took hold of this verse, and she never let it go. Now, I want to say something to you. If you're paralyzed by fear, 
God will speak to you through the word. And when God gives you a word, you hang on to that word like a dog clamps onto a bone. Right? You really hang on to that because this is your lifeline. And this was the verse that Amy was given. Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Amy, in her paralyzed fear condition, realized that her fear could never please God. And this is what she did. She exchanged her greatest fear of dying, of leaving her children without a mother, for God's promises. And God began to deliver her from her worst fear. It evaporated. It disappeared. It was gone. Her health began to improve. Each day, she got a little stronger. She had a little more energy. Over the course of weeks, she was back up to 100%. To this day, Amy, a mom, would say that God delivered me from my worst fears. And this was the verse that she came to love. Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I believe that was perhaps the sweetest thing this man had ever heard. Son, your sins are forgiven. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. You don't have to judge yourself. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to carry this heavy weight of sin. Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins have been carried away. Your sins have been released. Your sins are no more. It's as if the slate has been wiped clean. It's as if the uh, clear button has been hit on the computer. It's as if the eraser has taken the blackboard and wiped out all the sins. Son, I love the intimacy of this. Son, your sins are forgiven. Is the grace of God really greater than your sin? And do you know that you have been forgiven? Suppose you were raised with a Christian background, but you made some mistakes growing up. You crossed over some lines. And let's suppose you did a really big sin in your eyes. And you hear about the grace of God, that God has the power to forgive your sin. So what you do is you turn to Jesus and you ask him for forgiveness. But from time to time, you still feel these guilt feelings. You see, there's real guilt and there's false guilt. The psalmist said, I acknowledge my sin unto the Lord. I confess my sin to him. I said I will hide my sin no longer. I will cover up no longer. And the Lord forgave the guilt of my sin. The very moment you came to know Jesus, Jesus wiped the slate clean. But we still sometimes, aren't we, plagued by feelings of guilt. What is this feeling of guilt? This is a feeling of being disappointed with yourself, of letting yourself down, of letting your parents down, of not allowing the grace of God to really flow into your life. There was a young man, and he went to college. And in college, he decided he's going to bring home all of his dirty laundry. You know, we love our college students. We love to see them in their duffel bags. And he brought home with him this duffel bag. 
And inside of his duffel bag was all of his dirty clothing. So what he did was he took his duffel bag and he put it into the washing machine. Somehow it fit. And so when he took the, the duffel bag out of the washing machine, he looked inside the bag and he discovered that the clothes were clean, but they could become cleaner. So what he did was he took them one by one and put those clothes in the washing machine, and when they came out, they were cleaner than before. You see, when you became a believer, you received the forgiveness of sin. God forgave your past, your present, your future sins. God forgave your small, your medium-sized, your large sins. But the work of the Spirit of God is, He wants to pull that sin out by the root. And what He'll do is He'll make you deeply aware of that sin. You can bring that sin into His presence and receive cleansing at the level of the heart. And what God wants to do this morning is give you a very deep cleansing for you to realize that the grace of God is far greater than your sin. And then when Jesus went to that cross, that cross was for all of your sin. The sin that was on your mind then, the sin that's on your mind now. That God really wants to do a work of forgiveness in our lives. He wants us to one by one take them out of the duffel bag and put them in the washing machine and put some deep soap in there also and let them scrub a little bit and come out really clean. And some teachers of the law were there. And they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow even talk like this? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins except God alone. You see, they had logic. They believed that God could forgive sins. We'd all agree with that, right? But they were believing that Jesus wasn't God. So when Jesus offered forgiveness, they believed it was blasphemy. But imagine this. Only God can forgive your sin. And Jesus is God. And Jesus is offering you the forgiveness of sins. And what he is saying is true. You see, Jesus was exercising here his omniscience and his discernment. He said, why are you even thinking these things? Do you question whether forgiveness for your sins is even possible? I tell you that Jesus Christ can forgive any sin. Jesus Christ can remove any stain. The forgiveness for your sins is possible. God was in Christ God was in Christ, not counting our trespasses against us. You see, from Adam, we had been imputed sin. And our sin is imputed to Jesus, such that when we believe, God's righteousness is imputed to us. The doctrine of atonement teaches us that Jesus Christ has covered all of our sins. He has removed all of our sins. The doctrine of justification teaches us that God has declared us righteous while still in a sinning state. That God has the power to forgive us no matter what we've done. We've all been slighted. We've all been insulted. We've all been injured. We've all harbored grudges in our hearts. And it's that that God wants to forgive this morning. Which is easier, he said to the paralytic. (laughs) To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk, take up your mat and walk? Well, of course, the easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven. Why? Because because if I say your sins are forgiven, no one can verify that's true. But Jesus said, 
Get up. Take up your pallet and walk. And when the man obeyed Jesus, he walked for the first time in a long time. You see, that man on that day had to make a choice. Is my life going to be defined by being on this pallet six feet by two? Am I going to be carried around feeling sorry for myself, being paralyzed, being carried by others? Or am I going to get up? Am I going to take up my pallet? Am I going to walk? What I like to believe about this story is that this man went down the street dancing and rejoicing. He'd been forgiven of God. Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins? I just wish I had a witness. Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to forgive your sins? You see, when Jesus died upon the cross, it was to forgive your sins. What's required of us is simply believe that the cross is sufficient and to come to him humbly and contritely and asking him for the forgiveness of our sins. What are you going to do now with this forgiveness and the new beginning being offered? We have for you a testimony I'd like to show. It's of Kathleen. Kathleen is here. She comes to our Celebrate Recovery. Kathleen was involved with prostitution down in Augusta, Georgia. It had been so long since she'd seen her brother. When her brother comes to her, she doesn't even recognize her brother. But her brother came to pull her out of that lifestyle of drinking and drugging and prostitution. And we have here now Kathleen's testimony. Good morning. My name is Kathleen, and I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I am an alcoholic and an ex-drug user. I'm celebrating 41 months of sobriety. My first thoughts are the words to the song Amazing Grace. I'm not going to sing it because I can't sing very good. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Um, with me tonight are some of my family members from Celebrate Recovery. To my right here is Pam, this is Christian, Betty, and Stephanie. And these are members of my new family that have encouraged me and support me in my recovery process. A little background on myself. I was living in Augusta, Georgia for about 30 years and my significant other got very sick and was living with his daughter in South Carolina, so I was by myself. Um, I was waiting on a phone call hoping to come to Maryland for the holidays and hang around on a corner and a girlfriend of mine came up and said some guy was looking for me. Now, I didn't trust her too much because she was a prostitute and I thought it was a date she didn't want so she gave it to me. I was a little worried about going with her, but I did. She said he was my brother. So we went to this little corner store, not too far away, and I told her I didn't recognize him at all. And he got out of the car, and he, right away he says, I'm taking you to Maryland. So we went to where I was living at the current time, which was a burn-up house. We did have four walls and a roof. Got a few things, and we drove him back to Maryland where I got back acquainted with my immediate family and Jesus. Since that time, my stepmother and 
stepfather taught me about Celebrate Recovery through a church they went to, which is in Gaithersburg, Church of Redeemer. I started attending on Friday nights, and through the assistance of my brother and sister on driving me back and forth, I was going pretty regularly. We decided to check out closer ones, and that's how I arrived here at Grace Community Church. Since then, I've been coming here regularly, and I've been sober for 41 months, and been learning more about Jesus through Celebrate Recovery, and through myself, our, my new church in Urbana, Mountain View Community Church. And I've got baptized again about 30 months ago, and I know now I have a new life. I've been reborn into the Christ family, and every day is a blessing to me because I know I'm walking with the Lord. Amen. Every day is a blessing, right? Because I'm walking with the Lord. You know, people play fantasy football. I play fantasy church. Want to play fantasy church? We begin to name our sins. We get honest with God. And we thank Him for His forgiveness. I invite the praise team. Come on back. There's a place to go with your sin to the very cross of Jesus. It's a place to go to find healing and wholeness and forgiveness. God looks to us for contriteness and humility, just to be honest with him, and then to overflow with thankfulness to him for this great, beautiful cross that he provided. I'd like you to stand with me, if you would, please. There's probably a friend you have God's calling you to carry to Jesus. This is a great time just to lift that friend to the throne room. Maybe there's a person who's very stuck and paralyzed who needs a friend to carry them. Pray with me. Father, across this room there are so many people with hearts that are yielded and surrendered to you, Lord. They work beside people that are stuck. They go to school with people that are paralyzed. There's so much pain and suffering in our world, Lord. But we know that there's healing in the presence of Jesus. There's the Spirit of God in this very room where there's healing and wholeness available. There's the drawing of your spirit, Lord, to you, just to be honest and open. And to thank you, Lord, for the cross, to be drawn to the cross, to simply find ourselves thanking you, Lord, for the cross and being honest there. Father, would you do a great and mighty work in our lives? We do stand in the presence of greatness. We stand in the presence of Jesus whose heart is so wide open to us, whose arms are so wide open, we just come humbly, Lord, into your presence for you to do a great and mighty work of healing in us. Just as you raised up this paralyzed man, God, raise us up from being paralyzed to being free. God, we pray in Jesus' name.